Before we get to the next episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our next transformational retreat for entrepreneurs and for high achievers. At the next retreat, we will help you unlock the power inside your mind to break through your limitations and take control of your business. And unlike any other retreats or ceremonies, the Ultradose Retreat is an immersive experience designed for entrepreneurs like you to upgrade your inner power and accelerate your vision over one long weekend. If you've been looking for a retreat, a peer group to take you to the next level, visit chatwithck.com, apply for a free clarity session today, and let's get you started. If you're listening to Noble Warrior, chances are you're an entrepreneur, you're a high performer looking to increase your capacity to surf, to grow your business empire to the next level. And some of you may experience difficulties in meditation itself. Your mind is so busy that you can't even sit for five minutes, eight minutes, let alone an hour, right? I've been there myself, so I'm speaking from experience. Sitting for an hour is an impossibility to think about right now in this moment, yeah? So for those of you that struggles with even sitting for five minutes, I want to give you a gift by sharing chapter three of The Untethered Soul with you. This book really helped me grok the idea of meditation to help me familiarize with what's it like to be in deep meditative state to be in deep meditative state. And why is that important for me for stress reduction reasons, for creativity reason, for high performance reason, for even spiritual reason? And that being that understanding allow me to then build on that to explore my own meaning, my own intention, my own purpose of meditation. So this is by far the most clear explanation anyone has ever explained to me what meditation is. So this is chapter three of The Untethered Soul. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful place to allow those who are having trouble meditating. All right, I hope you enjoy it. Take care. Ramana Maharishi, a great teacher in the yogic tradition, used to say that to attain inner freedom, one must continuously and sincerely ask the question, who am I? He taught that this was more important than reading books, learning mantras, or going to holy places. Just ask, who am I? Who sees when I see? Who hears when I hear? Who knows that I'm aware? Who am I? Let's explore this question by playing a game. Make believe that you and I are having a conversation. Typically, in Western cultures, when someone comes to you and asks, Excuse me, who are you? You don't admonish them for asking such a deep question. You tell them your name, for example, Sally Smith. But I'm going to challenge this response by taking out a piece of paper and writing the letters S-A-L-L-Y-S-M-I-T-H and then show it to you. Is that who you are? A collection of letters? Is that who sees when you see? Obviously not, so you say. Okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm not Sally Smith. That's just a name people call me. It's a label, really. Really, I'm Frank, Frank Smith's wife. No way. That's not even politically correct nowadays. How could you be Frank's wife? Are you saying you didn't exist before you met Frank? 
and you would cease to exist if you died or you got remarried, Frank's wife can't be who you are. Again, that's just another label, the result of another situation or event you participated in. But then, who are you? This time you respond, Okay, now you have my attention. My label is Sally Smith. I was born in 1965 in New York. I live in Queens with my parents, Harry and Mary Jones, until I was five years old. Then we moved to New Jersey. Then I went to New York Elementary School. I got all A's in school. And in the fifth grade, I played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I started dating in the ninth grade. And my first boyfriend was Joe. I went to Rutgers and I met and married Frank Smith. That is who I am. Wait a minute. That's a fascinating story. But I didn't ask you what has happened to you since you were born. I asked you, who are you? You've just described all these experiences, but who had these experiences? Wouldn't you be there, aware of your existence, even if you had gone to a different college? So you contemplate this, and you realize that never in your life have you asked yourself that question and really meant it. Who am I? That is what Ramana Maharishi was asking. So you ponder this more seriously, and you say, Okay, I'm the body that occupies the space. I'm five foot six, and I weigh 135 pounds, and here I am. When you were Dorothy in the fifth grade, you weren't five foot six, you were four foot six. So, which are you? Are you the four foot six person or are you the five foot six person? Weren't you in there when you were Dorothy? You told me that you were. Weren't you the one who had the experiences of being Dorothy in the fifth grade and it's now having the experience of trying to answer my questions? Isn't this the same you? Perhaps we need to take a step back for a moment and ask some exploratory questions before returning to the core question. When you were 10 years old, didn't you look in the mirror and see a 10-year-old body? Wasn't that the same you that now sees in an adult body? What you look has changed. But what about you, the one who's looking? Isn't there a continuity of being? Wasn't it the same being that looked in the mirror throughout the years? You have to contemplate this very carefully. Here's another question. When you go to sleep every night, do you dream? Who dreams? What does it mean to dream? You answer, well, it's like a motion picture play in my mind and I watch it. Who watches it? I do. The same you who looked in the mirror. Does the same you who's reading these words also look in the mirror and watch the dreams? When you awake, you know you saw the dream. There is a continuity of consciousness, awareness, of being. Ramana Maharishi was just asking some very simple questions. Who sees when you see? Who hears when you hear? Who watches the dreams? Who looks at the image in the mirror? Who is that having all these experiences? If you try to just give honest, intuitive answers, you're simply going to say, me, it's me, I'm in here, experiencing all of this. That's about the best answer you'll have. It's actually pretty easy to see that you're not the objects you look at. It's a classic case of subject-object. It's you, the subject, that is looking at the objects. So we don't have to go through every object in the universe and say that object is not you. We can very easily generalize by saying that if you are the one who is looking at something, then that something is not you. So right away, in one felt soup, you know that you're not. You're not the outside world. You're the one who is inside looking out at the world. That was easy. 
Now, at least we eliminate all the countless things outside. But who are you? And where are you if you're not outside with all these other things? You just have to pay attention and realize that you will still be in there experiencing the feelings even all the outside objects disappear. Imagine how much fear you will feel. You might also feel frustration, even anger. But who would be feeling these things? Again, you say me. And that's the right answer. The same me experiencing both the outside world and the inside emotions. To take a clear look at this, imagine you're watching a dog play outdoors. Suddenly, you hear a noise right behind you, a hiss, like a rattlesnake. Would you still be looking at the dog with the same intensity of focus? Of course not. You'd be feeling tremendous fear inside. Though the dog would still be playing in front of you, you'd be completely preoccupied with the experience of fear. All of your attention can very quickly become absorbed in your emotions. But who feels the fear? Isn't the same you who was watching the dog? Who feels love when you feel love? Can't you feel so much love that it's hard to keep your eyes open? You can become so absorbed in beautiful inner feelings or frightening inner fears that's hard to focus on outside objects. In essence, inside and outside objects compete for your attention. You are in there having both inner and outer experiences. But who are you? To explore this more deeply, answer another question. Don't you have times when you're not having emotional experiences and instead you just feel quiet inside? You're still in there, but you're just aware of peaceful quiet. Eventually, you will begin to realize that the outside world and the flow of inner emotions come and go. But you, the one who experiences these things, remain consciously aware of whatever passes before you. But where are you? Maybe we can find you in your thoughts. Rene Descartes, a great philosopher, once said, I think, therefore I am. But is that really what's going on? The dictionary defines the verb to think as to form thoughts to use the mind to consider ideas and make judgments. The question is, who is using the mind to form thoughts and then manipulate them into ideas and judgments? Does this experiencer of thoughts exist even when thoughts are not present? Fortunately, you don't have to think about it. You're very aware of your presence of being your sense of existence, without the help of thoughts. When you go into deep meditation, for example, the thoughts stop. You know what they've stopped. You don't think it. You're simply aware of no thoughts. You come back and say, wow, I went into this deep meditation and for the first time, my thoughts completely stopped. I was in a place of complete peace, harmony, and quiet. If you're in there experiencing the peace that occurs when your thoughts stop, then obviously your existence is not dependent upon the act of thinking. Thoughts can stop, and they can also get extremely noisy. Sometimes you have many more thoughts than other times. You may even tell someone, my mind is driving me crazy. Ever since he said those things to me, I can't even sleep. My mind just won't shut up. Whose mind? Who's noticing the thoughts? Isn't it you? Don't you hear your thoughts inside? Aren't you aware of though 
existence, those existence. In fact, can you get rid of them? If you start to have a thought you don't like, can you try to make it go away? People struggle with thoughts all the time. Who is it that is aware of the thoughts and who is it that struggle with them? Again, you have a subject-object relationship with your thoughts. You're the subject and the thoughts are just another object you can be aware of. You are not your thoughts. You simply are aware of your thoughts. Finally, you say, fine, I'm not anything in the outside world and I'm not the emotions. Those outer and inner objects come and go and I experience them. Plus, I'm not my thoughts. They can be quiet or noisy, happy or sad. Thoughts are just something else I'm aware of. But who am I? It starts to become a serious question. Who am I? Who is having these physical emotions and mental experiences? So you contemplate this question a little deeper. This is done by letting go of the experiences and notice who is left. You will begin to notice who is experiencing the experience. Eventually, you will get to a point within yourself where you realize that you, the experiencer, have a certain quality. And that quality is awareness, consciousness, an intuitive sense of existence. You know that you're in there. You don't have to think about it. You just know. You can think about it if you want to, but if you will know what you're thinking about it, your existence, regardless, thoughts or no thoughts. To, d- to make this more e- experiential, let's try a consciousness awareness. To make this more experiential, let's try a consciousness experiment. Notice that with a single glance at a room or out the window, you instantly see the full detail of everything that's in front of you. You're effortlessly aware of all objects as within the scope of your vision, both near and far away. Without moving your head or eyes, you perceive all the intricate details of what you immediately see. Look at all the colors, the variation of light, the grain of wood furniture, the architecture of buildings, and a variation of bark and leaves on the trees. Notice that you take all this in at once without having to think about it. No thoughts are necessary, you just see it. Now try to use thoughts to isolate detail, label, describe all the intricate details of what you see. How long would it take you to mental, to take your mental voice to describe all that details to you versus the instantaneous snapshot of consciousness just seeing? When you just look without creating thoughts, Your consciousness is effortlessly aware of and fully comprehends all that it sees. Consciousness is the highest word you ever utter. There's nothing higher or deeper than consciousness. Consciousness is pure awareness. But what is awareness? Let's try another experiment. Let's say that you're in a room looking at a group of people and a piano and make believe that the piano ceased to exist in your world. Would you have a major problem with that? You say, no, I don't think so. I'm not attached to pianos. Okay, then. Make believe that the people in the room cease to exist. Are you still okay? Can you handle it? You say, sure. I like being alone. Now, make believe your awareness doesn't exist. Just turn it off. How are you doing now? What would it be like if your awareness didn't exist? 
is actually pretty simple. You wouldn't be there. There would be no sense of me. There wouldn't be anyone in there say, wow, I used to be in here, but now I'm not. There would no longer be awareness of being. And without awareness of being or consciousness, there is nothing. Are there objects? Who knows? If no one is aware of the objects, their existence or non-existence becomes completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter how many things are in front of you. If you turn off the consciousness, there is nothing. If you are conscious, however, there can be nothing in front of you and you are fully aware that there is nothing. It really is not that complicated. It is very enlightening. So if I ask you, who are you? You answer, I'm the one who sees. From back in here somewhere, I look out and I'm aware of the events, thoughts, and emotions that pass before me. If you go very deep, that's where you live. You live in the seat of consciousness. A true spiritual being lives here, without effort and without intent. Just as you effortlessly look outside and see what you see, you will eventually sit far enough back inside to see all your thoughts and emotions, as well as outer form. All of these objects are in front of you. Their thoughts are closer in. The emotions are a little further away, and the form is way out there. Behind it all, there you are. You go so deep that you realize that where you've always been, and at each stage of your life, you have seen different thoughts, emotions, and objects pass before you. But you have always been the conscious receiver of all that was. Now you're in the center of your consciousness. You are behind everything, just watching. That is your true home. Take everything else away and you're still there. Aware that everything is gone, but take the center of awareness away and then there is nothing. The center is the seat of self. From that seat, you're aware that there are thoughts, emotions, and a world coming through your senses. But now you're aware that you are aware. That is the seat of the Buddhist self, the Hindu Atman, and the Judeo-Christian soul. The great mystery begins once you take that seat deep within.